This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Woof. That's right, woof. That's how we'll start it off today. I feel for you. If you were like me last night and watched both of those two, he's using the ironic quotation marks with the fingers, games last night. Bless you. You, sir or madam, are a diehard. You hung in there. It was a Tuesday night, right before All-Star. And we saw some hockey players <laughs> make sure they didn't get hurt before their All-Star break down south. Woof to those two. That was the worst night of hockey we've seen all season. Like, we've been treated to a lot of really great hockey this season. More times than not, there's at least something from every single evening, mostly, and this has been the benefit of this program specifically, my job's kind of been easy because the hockey's been so good. There's been a lot of storylines attached to them, but usually there's a bunch of things that I can pull out of the night before that we can talk about the next day. After yesterday, those two games, woof. First of all, the early game, Columbus Blue Jackets, St. Louis Blues. Worst game I've seen St. Louis play all season. Not even close. Just like lifeless. Nothing. Even, you know, Drew Bannister, the head coach of St. Louis, mentioned this last night as well. They were playing too cute. To me, they were playing like a team that didn't want to get hurt before they got on a plane and went south for their vacation. That was a game that if the St. Louis Blues win, guess what? Number one wildcard spot. This was a big one for them. Could have grabbed top spot in the wild card. Then you're off to your all-star break with a big smile. Could not have been less interested in playing. You know, outside of a good performance by Jordan Bennington, who cared, it looked like, and Tyler Tucker, who fought Matthew Olivier, bad choice, but still. Like, were there any signs of life on that St. Louis Blues team last night? Uh, yes, you in the back. Uh, no, there were not. Correct. Blue Jackets win one nothing. Happy for Dmitry Voronkov, who continues to excel for Columbus as a rookie. Third in rookie goal scoring, Trey trailing Connor Bedard and Marco Rossi. Happy for him. Happy for Elvis Merzlikens, who, as we all know, has requested a trade. Get me out of here. Elvis Merzlikens. Vegas, you know the assignments. And then the Seattle Kraken... I mean, a better effort than we saw in the first game of the evening. Um, but Mackenzie Blackwood looked really good. Mackenzie Blackwood looked excellent. Um, David Quinn referring to him last night as King Kong or saying he looks like King Kong. Um, not the best effort we've seen from the Kraken either. Good on the San Jose Sharks. The announced attendance was 10,988. And if that's true, my aunt is my uncle. Um, 2-0 is the final score. Final shots on goal, 32-22 Seattle over the San Jose Sharks. And Mark Edward Vlasic. There's a bright story. Mark Edward Vlasic, the veteran, with the uh, with the contract that cannot be moved. He will retire a San Jose Shark. He'll spend his career there. Uh, him with the game winner. By the way, he has scored three goals in his last five games. This is the uh, same Mark Edward Vlasic who has been healthy scratched a number of times this season. Is there anything else we can add about last night? Two bad games. I'm sorry. 
if you're like me and you stuck through it. You watch these turkeys. Oof, that was tough. Not getting last night back. Haley Salavin from the Athletic Sportsnet Hockey Commentator joins me now. Hello, Haley. Hi, how's it going? I don't know. Like, pretty crap. I feel like the. <laughs> oh. How am I going to phrase this? My energy level on this program is usually dictated by the hockey that I saw the night before. Not that yeah. I'm just here to sort of articulate rage or articulate, in last night's case, boredom. But mm-hmm. I don't know how much of last night you watched. I hope you didn't watch a lot. I hope you had a lot better things to do. Um, like as my old friend Bill Waters used to say, sort out my sock drawer. I'm <laughs> hoping you had better things to do with your evening last night than to watch those two turkeys, Blues and Blue Jackets, the Sharks and the Kraken. Tough night on the Yeah, Olympics. I didn't watch a second of it. I'm not going to lie to you or the dear listeners yeah. across the nation. I did not watch one second and i feel like i didn't miss anything i feel like i just got a really good wrap up from your show it's the reason to listen at noon so yeah i feel i feel caught up (laughs) thanks Jeff. now have have no problem having said that tonight should be better with the senators and the red wings i mean we all know what happened last time with dylan larkin and matthew joseph and Mm -hmm. more specifically david prawn and artem zub we'll see if that carries over uh, the Los Angeles Kings are trying to salvage something from this road trip as they continue to spiral. And, you know, we'll see what San Jose and Anaheim can serve up in the uh, late game. So hopefully tonight uh, will be better. But um, a-, a couple of things that I wanted to go over with you, we'll start with the Vancouver Canucks because mm-hmm. that is, you know, one of the big news stories of the day, and that is Patrick Galvin, the general manager of Vancouver, getting a multi-year contract extension. This on the heels of Jim Rutherford being extended as well. I don't think that they tried to line the two up either. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll find out where, where this one goes. But if you, when, you know, when moves like this happen, it's a good time to you know, sort of have an audit of what we've seen and what's on the horizon. When you look at the work that Rutherford and Alvin have placed before us, and like mm-hmm. there have been some hiccups, we get it, we've seen it all, and we'll see what happens for the rest of the season. Um, when you look at what Alvin and Rutherford have done so far, your thoughts on all of it? Yeah, I think I, I think I like it. Um, you know, the one trade or the one, the few decisions that I keep kind of going back to that I think people were initially upset about or shocked about, like obviously the decision to keep JT Miller over Bo Horvat's a big one, right? And I, I don't think there's yeah. anyone who's, who's going to say that they're happy to lose Bo Horvat because he was the captain and we know how people felt about him in that market but like when you're looking at their product and how improved jt miller has been this year in terms of his complete game with rick talkett i don't know Mm -hmm. how many people are saying they'd rather have horvat over miller on their team right now and maybe that's unfair because what would bo horvat look like on an improved canucks roster remains to be seen obviously because he's not on the team anymore but you kind of look back in hindsight and say you know what that's worked out pretty well for the Canucks this season. Um, and the Philip Ronick trade is another one that I go back to. Um, you know, that looks sure. better in hindsight as well. So I think there's things to really like about what the two have done. Um, I think Alvin and Rutherford, I, you know, I, there's everyone's going to keep them as a package deal, obviously. Um, but, you know, they've offloaded <laughs> some of the inefficient contracts. They found some value signings um, to kind of make the Canucks supporting cast better than it has been in years past. I think the Zadorov deal, they didn't give up they didn't give up much 
uh, to get him, what was that, like 45 days ago. You know, their trade deadline started early in mm-hmm. Vancouver. So I think there's a lot to like about what they've done. I think the extension's a no-brainer, and I think the the thing that's really nice about this is it's just like another piece of drama-free business for the Vancouver Canucks, and I uh, don't know how often we'd have been able to say that over the last few years. No, that's certainly true. Drama and Vancouver have, have tended to go hand-to-hand, and I think a lot of that is just it's a, it's a high-profile Canadian marketplace, uh, but then again, sometimes you know the Vancouver Canucks have, to be honest, gone out there looking for rakes to step on, and it's mm-hmm. happened. I think the one thing that Rutherford and Alvin have tried to do is try to, uh, to calm things down and quiet things down. Now, it's yeah. tough to do when you have a... You know, a situation like Elias Pettersson finds himself in, and I don't want to talk about a contract yeah. extension right now, and this goes back to the summer. and uh, mm-hmm. So that, that that's one issue. But I, w- I want to pick up on something you said about Rick Tockett as well. And I think that's, you know, Pettersson's been fantastic. Quinn Hughes has been tremendous. Thatcher Demko gives him a chance to win uh, every time he's out there. Clearly a candidate mm-hmm. for the Vesna Trophy. At all positions, totally. they have players that, you know, should probably at least be in the conversation for various trophies at the mm-hmm. end of the year. And that includes Rick Tockett. That includes a head yeah. coach. You know, it's so interesting the way that, you know, the hockey world works, which is kind of like life. So much of it is about <laughs> just luck and circumstance. You know, Rick Tockett is a great fit, obviously, for this Vancouver Canucks team. Uh, everybody has responded well. Even players that are in the doghouse respond well and mm-hmm. uh, and respond the way you would expect them to as professionals. And the one thing that I can't help but thinking was, you know, he was supposed to be the head coach of the Seattle Kraken. You know, everything was going mm-hmm. that direction. Tockett was going to be the guy. And then for, you know, whatever reasons, depending on who you listen to and who you believe, that <laughs> fell apart and he ended up on TNT. I always encourage anybody who's still interested in getting hired in the NHL to find themselves a TV job in between jobs, see Tortorella John, see Maurice Paul, and that's what Rick Tockett did. And he kept his name very much out there and he kept his voice very much out there. Um, And it's a great hiring by the Vancouver Canucks and that's probably someone that we'll hear towards the end of the year around uh, around the Jack Adams Trophy. Um, But now you're Alvin and it's the All-Star break and you're looking for, you know, the sprint, the trade deadline, so Kuzmenko's name is going to be out there and Mm -hmm. the Pedersen conversation will not go away until Pedersen decides to end it himself. How do you see Vancouver behaving now in the next little while now that Alvin has signed this multi-year contract extension? I don't know if the extension necessarily changes what the Canucks should be doing at this point in the season, because I think regardless, he should be aggressive with his moves. And maybe the fact that he has an extension makes him feel a little bit more free. Like, okay, maybe if I make a bit of a mistake on a rental, I'm not going to not get a contract extension. So maybe I should walk that back a little bit. Like maybe he feels more comfortable to take a big swing. But I do think that that. excuse me Jeff is what he should be doing right like this is a Canucks team that finds themselves as you just laid out they have a coach that is coaching in the all-star game but more importantly is probably going to be in the conversation if not winning the Jack Adams at the end of the year they have players who are going to be in the conversation for a number of trophies they're the number one team in the league right now they're playing good hockey Um, and so I think the impetus is on Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford to be aggressive at the trade deadline. Now, what that looks like is a different conversation, right? Like, I don't love the high price rental, um, but we do know that Jim Rutherford from, obviously, 
<laughs> he's not the general manager, but I'm sure he pulls a ton of strings in that market. And we know from looking at his past oh, yeah. with the Pittsburgh Penguins that like Jim Rutherford is a, is a hockey executive that always understands the gift that he has. Like how many years with like Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and Flurry did he just spend, spend, spend to give his team the best chance yeah. at winning when it mattered? So I do wonder how much of that carries over into Vancouver. Um, it's not something that we've seen in the last number of years is this team playing meaningful hockey where we're saying the GM should be aggressive at the deadline. Um, so are they going to mm-hmm. go? The thing that's interesting is the rental market's just like not great this year. Like who are we we're talking about in terms of unrestricted free agents like Sean Monaghan? Um, is, is Everly um, a pending unrestricted free agent? Lindholm. Elias Lindholm. He and is, like those guys are going to yeah. cost a lot. You don't know if they're going to stay. Um, Drancer, um, who obviously has a show in Vancouver, and I'm sure he's talked about this on his show, and, and he's going to talk about it mm-hmm. some more um, on their show today. But <clears throat> him and Harmon at the Athletic had like 10 rental players Vancouver should consider, and the one that is obviously interesting to me is Jake Gensel. And <laughs> like, is there somebody who makes more sense for Vancouver? No. Like, there's a lot to like about Jake Gensel, but I just can't wrap my head around the penguins trading him even if they don't think they're going to have enough money to re-sign him this summer or if Gensel doesn't want to stay like I just that would require the penguins completely punting on the season and saying like no we're done let's just get rid of them but do you think they would trade Gensel don't you do everything you can to keep him I, I wonder if that avenue has already been exhausted Um, I I think Mm. that you know like ev- eventually the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to, you know, dawn on the realization that despite the fact that they want to keep the band together and keep running this thing back and, and going for it, there does come a point where, oh, you look at the back of the carton and we've hit our expiry date. And then right. that reality sort of slaps you in the face and you make your decisions based on the reality, not based on the fantasy that we want yeah. this team to be in the playoffs again. And I right. think if it have, I, I think if around trade deadline this year, like if uh, unless they're like right there in a, in a playoff position, then yeah, they'll go for it. Uh, yeah. I think you probably owe that to Sidney Crosby. I think it'd be a tough one for Dubas to go to Crosby and say, "Yeah, I know yeah. we were close, but I don't have any faith in you guys." I'm like, I'm Sidney Crosby. Like, what are you talking to me yeah. like this for? Um, right. So I, I think, but I mean, if they keep trending the way that they have been all season long, where it's been. You know, win two, lose three, you know, win four, lose six. Like, it's, it, it hasn't gone according to any type of plan that Dubas laid yeah. out uh, as pie in the sky as that may have been for some people. Um, <laughs> I but saw I, win. I, I was I, like, I can't, I can't, I, I can't see Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted him to. Eric like, I think Carlson, you're right. Like, go. we all looked at this and... <laughs> Yeah. And here comes Dubas, and he's like redone the bottom six, and he's yeah. and he's and he's uh, and he's brought in Riley Smith too, and you know the yeah. bottom six have term, yeah. and they got Nadalkovich to back up Tristan Jari, and mm-hmm. like okay, they're gonna go for it. The band is back together, and here comes Carlson, and best laid plans, best laid plans. Um, yeah, one, one more thing, really quickly here. Hey, listen. We all listen. We all went along for the ride. Trust me. I was. I was like you too. And again, there's still a lot of hockey to be played here. Let's let's see where this all goes. You know, All Star Pause gives us a chance to talk about you know uh, teams and where they're at and what they need, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not just NHL, but that's PWHL as well. Um, this is like when when you look at the um, 
when you look at the uh, the athletes in the PWHL, uh, and I'm thinking like you know superstars like Sarah Nurse, like Marie Philippe Poulin, like this is a busy few days for them, and then they've got to play a three on three showcase as well. This is, yeah. I mean, it's a great marketing opportunity certainly for the PWHL. Um, this is you know one of the things that you know the this new league has has always wanted to be right there, right next to the National Hockey League, both in terms of on the ice, but also. In sort of uh, in intellectually be right beside the National Hockey League. How do you see the PWHL fitting into All-Star Weekend, not just from what we'll see, but what mm-hmm. this means for this league after this weekend? You know what I mean, Haley? Yeah, yeah. I think this is a really great time in the season for these players to have this platform um, on the Thursday for the three-on-three specifically because, you know, everyone keeps talking about and a lot of the questions that I keep getting as someone who covers the league is it's been a really great start, but how is this going to continue? And I think, you know, we're one month into the season, one third of the way through the schedule um, for most teams who played eight games. Some of are still only at six. But for all intents and purposes, we're one third of the way through the PWHL season. And, you know, if there was going to be a lull, I think, you know, these players having the opportunity to showcase what they can do at All-Star Weekend tomorrow in that three on three is going to be really interesting because there's going to be people who maybe weren't watching yet who watch the three on three and go oh wow alex carpenter's sick like i'm gonna go and watch the new york game on saturday or next week or wow alina mueller's unbelievable i'm not familiar with her game uh i'm gonna go watch boston so i think the time in the season um works really well for them and then there'll be like other um upticks as well like coming out of women's world championships i think you'll see even more attention because people will watch you know another Canada USA game and go, Oh my gosh, I can watch these players all of the time and then start following. So yeah, I think the timing of this is great. Um, I think these players, as you said, are very busy. I've seen a few of their schedules. Um, I've seen the media schedule that got sent out for all-star and there's, you know, at 7am Mary Philippe Poulin is going to be at Nathan Phillips square tomorrow um, practicing. And then she's Mm going to be around for so much other stuff. You know, there's partner activations, there's NHL activations, they're doing media appearances, things like that. So It's a busy time, but this exposure is going to be really important for not just keeping people interested, but introducing these players and this game to people who maybe weren't paying attention yet. Mm-hmm. So this is like, uh, as you mentioned, this is the the, the first po- first pause. They're one third of the way through the schedule, mm-hmm. um, and right away, the first thing that anybody, whether you've watched the game or just, you know, checked out the uh, the PWHL website to see like who's good and who's not. I mean, two teams yeah. have really distinguished themselves quickly here. One Minnesota, and the other Montreal. Do you have a thought mm-hmm. on these two teams? Who initially, I mean, listen, we're only eight games in, but they yeah. seem to be the uh, the class of the league so far. I'm a huge fan of Minnesota. I had a great conversation with their new coach, Ken Klee. Um, you know, maybe people who are listening to the show are familiar with him. You know, he would have played for the Leafs. He had, you know, oh, yeah. played in the NHL. Um, and he would have won back-to-back uh, gold medals with Team USA, the women's national team, in, what, 2014, 2015? Um, so he's, a you know, an experienced hockey guy, good coach. And I had a good chat with him. He started seven days before Minnesota's first game, Jeff. And he came in, and they didn't lose in regulation for the first six games, and they still only lost once in regulation. And that's impressive in and of itself. But what I really like is just the way that team plays the game and the way that Ken has, you know, got this team playing. And I think, you know, it's important to say, too, like, he didn't just come in and say, you know, we're going to do what the old coach was doing. Like, he gave everyone playbooks and said, like, you better read this because we've got a week, and this is how we're going to play. He changed the systems. He changed the lines. 
um, that's a lot for players to go through, but they've really bought in and they're playing a really up-tempo, highly skilled game. Their goalies are excellent. You know, Nicole Hensley, in terms of starters, has the best save percentage and goals against average in the league. Some winkles tied with Ulan for the league lead in scoring. Taylor Heisey's got the two goal of the year candidates at this point in the season. Like, she's unbelievable. So they play with the puck a lot. They like to play a highly skilled game, and I just think there's a ton to like about Minnesota. Um, in Montreal, obviously, they're always going to have a chance to win when we're talking about Poulin uh, and, and Rene Debian, who, for my money, is the best goalie and best player in the world. Um, but I really like what Corey Chevry's done. I think that team is very well coached. Um, you know, the conversation with the Penguins, she was, you know, a Penguins guest coach, and, you know, she coaches with the national team as well. So I like the first-line combo. I think Maureen Murphy, who was a stud at Northeastern, is playing very well with Poulin. Um, Laura Stacy provides a one-two punch in the top six. Um, so she's been scoring a lot for that team. So um, I know when I came on the show, like, way too early, I was like, if I had to predict who'd be in the final, it'd be Montreal and Boston. And then I was like, maybe New York could win, but I'm – I'm sticking with my first <laughs> gut, which was that Montreal. Very good. All right. Yeah. Uh, they look good. <laughs> Minnesota looks good. It's an interesting point you raise about uh, King Klee as well. You're right. He came in very, mm-hmm. very late in the game. And the, the thing is, I can still recall, like, when he was punted from the U.S. Uh, the U.S. national team as a coach, uh-huh. that was, like, all the athletes loved him. And I remember yeah. Kendall Coyne Schofield specifically you yeah. know, talking about how disappointed and how awful this is. Like, there's a mm-hmm. there's a real hand to glove here with Ken Klee in women's hockey, Haley. Totally. Yeah, totally. I think I saw an excerpt in her book, too, about how much everybody loved him. And then um, I yep. believe it was Katie Stone who came in after, right? And then they lost the Olympics. Uh, so. Yep. Or was that before? Was Katie Stone? Um, no, that was 2016, right? Did I get that right? That was 2016, yeah. Yeah, then they lost the Olympics. They probably should have won, though. But nonetheless, um, nonetheless, so we'll have spent a, uh, enough time talking about that game specifically. Uh, one more thing I want to I get to here, because this is a league that has seen a lot of initial success and enthusiasm, and all of it is great. And I think it's uh, wonderful for capital H hockey, not just women's hockey, but for men's hockey, because there's a there's a spillover. The more successful the women's game is, uh, the more rinks that'll be built. I've done this before. Equipment manufacturers are healthier. Like all of it, like at every single level, hockey improves when the women's game is strong. Um, mm-hmm. Attendance. I, I saw this note from them from um, from Paul Kratz, who handles media relations uh, with the PWHL after 22 games average attendance just under 5,000 4,848 now there are some some big ones you know we think of Minnesota and 13,000 etc but as far as a as far as a baseline for attendance that's a really Mm -hmm. healthy one to work from like just under 5,000 people per game totally and I have to correct myself it was 2014 2014 with Katie Stone I always miss I always mix up 2014 and 2016 for the Sochi Olympics. So my apologies. I'm correcting myself there. Um, But yeah, I think it's a great baseline. I think think the fact that um, the Toronto team home games sold out so quickly and there was like legitimate outrage at them playing in a small, such a small building speaks to the demand that there is for tickets and there's going to be the game at Scotiabank Arena. Um, And I can tell you, I spoke with some people with the league and I said like, how did this come about? Because that wasn't a previously to be determined neutral site game, right? Like that was a game that people bought tickets for at Mattamy that are being refunded 
and now it's at Scotiabank Arena. And people with the league told me that, you know, because of the demand for tickets in Toronto, they were actively seeking an opportunity to get into a bigger building this season to get more butts and seats yeah. because that's what the fans wanted. So, um, you know, the demand is definitely there. I think it's a great start for the league. Um, you know, I've been impressed, I think, Boston was one of those teams that I wondered how they would do because they're in Lowell. Like they are, what, 45 minutes outside yeah. of downtown Boston, so to speak. Um, and they've been averaging around 4,000 fans a game, um, give or take. I think New York, obviously, is one of the teams that they're probably going to need to um, take another look at. And I don't mean moving out of New York, but maybe it's like actually moving into New York. Like Bridgeport, Connecticut's tough. Mm-hmm. And when they've got a 7 o'clock game yeah. on a Wednesday, like who from... Manhattan is going to drive to Connecticut at, after work to get to a seven o'clock puck drop yep. um, all the way out there. So I think the baseline's good. I think everything looks great, but there's, you know, talking to people within the league, you know, there's definitely things that they're going to have to talk about and maybe adjust in the off season for sure. Always listen. There, there's a lot. This is a growing league, as we all know. Some things are obvious, whether it's uh, names and logos, etc. Mm-hmm. Others, you know, geography and rinks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so we shall. We'll, we'll see where it all heads. All I know is that there's a lot of excitement for it, and it is sort of as predicted by a lot of people. Uh, so far, this has been a resounding success. Mm-hmm. Um, the league is doing what the league said it was trying to do, so you got to totally. give thumbs up there. Um, Haley, you, I know you're busy. It is All-Star Week, and mm-hmm. I know you have a number of things to get to. Thanks for parking time yeah. with me here on this Wednesday. We'll catch up soon. I'm just sitting in the Delta Hotel. Got to go pick up my pass. So, yeah, it was good. Nice to chat. Nice. This couch is comfy, so All right, I'm good fine. catching up. <laughs> oh, by the way, your colleague, Soraya Tinker, did you see the headline around her? Manager of Diversity, Equity, yeah. Inclusion Initiatives, and Community Engagement. So, yeah, so like, awesome. we all said this, like, when Soraya, so when Soraya Tinker hangs it up and, you know, retires the act on the ice, you know, there's mm-hmm. going to be so many opportunities for her, totally. uh, both broadcasting and this one as well. So we, we congratulate Soraya Tinker. Uh, okay, Haley, on that, you're free. Uh, thanks, thanks for parking so. it with me today. Really appreciate it. Haley Salvian uh, from The Athletic. Uh, she's also on the PWHL broadcast, as you can see, and is a contributor here to Sportsnet's hockey. Um, all right. Uh, I know I kind of had a whack at the pinata from last night, and those two games were real bad. Just be blunt. And I think the, the one team that you look at and you say, like, how do you come out and have a clunker like that when the first wild card position is on the line? You could have grabbed it last night, grabbed that spot away from a free-falling L.A. Kings team. Man, the St. Louis Blues did not do themselves any favors at home. Lifeless effort outside of Bennington and Tucker to some extent um, in front of your own fans and come up with that type of effort, mustering only 21 shots on Elvis Merzlikens. That will not sit well with either Drew Bannister, the head coach, and most specifically, Doug Armstrong, the GM. Not in position to squander points at all when you're very much in the playoff race and the wild card race and trying to grab the first wild card spots and you squander two points against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Nonetheless, we shall see what happens tonight and the marquee matchup. And you can watch this one on Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey, the Ottawa Senators and the Detroit Red Wings. No storylines there. No, no, no. Can't think of anything. No bad blood, dueling rebuilds, controversial suspensions. We'll get you next games. And no, nothing really coming to mind there. 
can watch that one. Later, you can watch the Sharks and the Ducks in between. You can watch the Kings and the Preds. And then the NHL schedule is done and the official pause is on. Coming up on today's program, and uh, thanks to Haley Salavian for uh, for stopping by. Greg Wyshynski drops by at the top of Hour 2. Uh, Nazem Kadri of the Calgary Flames will be aboard as well. We'll talk a little bit about the Flames and also talk about uh, the HDA, which he is a co-founder of, and we'll talk about HDA Winterfest. Uh, but joining me in a couple of moments here, we will, uh, we will talk about uh, the situation involving the four players who were charged yesterday with sexual assault around the 2018 World Junior Team in London. We will talk about Carter Hart, Cal Foote, Michael McLeod, Dylan Dubé, uh, Alex Formanton as well, uh, all charged with sexual assault in the 2018 case. Our senior editor at sportsnet.ca is Paul Grant. He joins me next. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Still to come, top of hour two, Greg Wyshynski will be aboard. Nazem Kadri from the Calgary Flames and the HDA joins at the bottom of the hour. Uh, warning, the uh, next story we're going to talk about now is a sensitive one. Um, and um, not everyone who hears it will have the same reaction. Essentially, what I'm saying, trigger warning, this is uh, the story of the 2018 World Junior Squad. Um a difficult one for everybody, um, some more so than for others. Uh, Paul Grant is a senior editor at Sportsnet.ca. He joins me now. Paul, how are you today? Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. So, uh, first of all, it's a very difficult uh, case to cover, um, both for the for the fear of, of of making mistakes at all, and we've all been, you know, advised, you know, not to guess at things. Make sure you know one hundred percent certain in a situation like this. Uh, guessing can often lead into trouble and misrepresentation. And two, like this one takes an emotional toll on everybody. This one takes an emotional toll on certainly the victim, and that emotional toll continues. Um, people that read the story have followed the story. Um, I think of NHL teams and their employees, whether it's the Flyers, whether it's the Devils, whether it's the Calgary Flames, people that cover the team, specifically female reporters. I think we all think of whose jobs became more challenging last week and will continue to be uh, more challenging as they emotionally work through a story that they have to cover. Um, what can you tell us the very latest we've seen uh, players now charged with sexual assault and we've seen um, comments from lawyers saying our clients are innocent we will vigorously defend them what is the latest Paul yeah I think we're seeing uh, the latest developments uh, overnight uh, late last night uh, where the lawyers uh, confirming that their players have been charged so the last four players of the five have uh, have been charged will be charged um the lawyers have gotten out in front of it and issued their own statements etc this started when uh, alex mm-hmm. formanton turned himself in uh, last week uh, over the weekend uh, in london uh, to be arraigned uh, and charged 
So we're looking at the process, uh, Jeff, is, is, it's a culmination of many, many months of investigation uh, and uh, evidence uh, uncovering, discovery, et cetera, by the London Police Service. So right now we're seeing that. Mm-hmm. And the next step, of course, will be the official, what is supposed to be or what could be the official reading of the charges on Monday in London. You know, one, one of the things, and I, I do want to get to that in a couple of moments, and, and Paul, I do want to ask you if we have any sort of, uh, of indication as to what's next for the, uh, for the five who have been charged. Um, the London police has been heavily criticized all along the way, first for the uh, initial investigation and then the length uh, that it took for this investigation to wrap up. Now, I have never worked in the legal field, so I always feel like more than a little bit of a fraud when I say this is taking too long because really I don't know what goes on. Um, but from your experience uh, and from your knowledge, did this one, essentially what I'm asking is, did this one take too long to get us to this point? I think it, it took a little bit longer than it should have. Um, having said that, this is kind of an unprecedented situation. Uh, there are not a lot of situations where you have uh, one survivor and uh, potentially multiple alleged uh, attackers or sexual assaulters. Um, in, in my talking to uh, lawyers and, and other people in the legal profession and police officers, uh, this kind of thing uh, is unprecedented. And I think that the complications around this in terms of the inebriation, uh, the alleged inebriation, the alleged uh, people involved, um, it really complicated the matter in terms of clear-cut evidence, in terms of clear-cut testimony. Um, one of the things in talking to a Crown attorney about this, uh, the Crown attorney said that the evidence has got to be very solid and very well-documented and very tried and true in order to hand it over to the Crown attorney. So the police have to have everything locked down. I think that that's what happened in this first go-around, that there was a, there was a question of uh, consent around this, particular incident. And that complicated things for the London police. Uh, They revisited it, I think, largely because of the blowback that they received uh, in the public forum. And as a result, they dug deeper into the incident and the charges. And that's where we are right now. It's so it's it's a complicated answer, Jeff, really. I, you know, I, I think that because of the situation that that happened that allegedly occurred, um, we're looking at a very complicated, very complicated uh, situation in terms of discovering evidence, mm. uh, talking to witnesses, et cetera. And that's why we are where we are today. So for these charges um, to be levied against these five hockey players, do they need or did they need a cooperating victim? That, that's a very good question, and that's a question that we've sort of been asking since the beginning. Uh, the uh, alleged survivor who went by EM in court documents, uh, it became clear very early on that uh, she did not want to uh, make more of this than it, than it occurred. I, you can imagine the trauma around this situation for this particular person, and having to not, you know, you don't want that person to have to relive this again and again and again. It's a, it's, a, it's a problem in the system right now that, uh, that occurs quite frequently. And so her uh, not taking part in subsequent uh, investigations was seen as a bit of a roadblock. However, in talking to uh, some experts on this and some lawyers and, and legal uh, advisors, 
it's not necessarily a requirement. If the if the police, if the London police feel that they have enough evidence to warrant charges, they can go without uh, the uh, the cooperation of the alleged uh, survivor. Now, it's not very common. It doesn't happen very often, but it can happen. Um, now having said that, uh, I believe that the survivor has re-engaged with uh, London police at some point along the way during this investigation. And I think that that's why we have mm-hmm. uh, clear-cut charges right now. Uh, with Paul Grants, I'm um, talking with the 2018 World Junior Team uh, with players charged with sexual assault going back to this 2018 case. Um, I think there are a few things that we wonder about with this one. And one of them is there was a and is a Hockey Canada report uh, on what happened. There is an NHL report on what happened. Neither have been released. Um, Elliot and I talked about this on the podcast a couple of different times, and, and Elliot's main point was the threat of litigation kept those two reports from being released. One of the things, Paul, that I had wondered about was, you know, was there a fear that if either Hockey Canada or the NHL released their reports, that it would somehow compromise the London police investigation? Do you know one or t- or both of these things to either be true or not true? Well, right now, the Hockey Canada uh, investigation is currently under adjudication. It's being appealed um, internally. Right. The results are have been completed. That's the Robitaille report, essentially. And yeah. it's being appealed uh, by Hockey Canada in terms of what the conclusions of that report were. So I, that's kind of tied up in appeal right now. So I don't know if that would have come out or not. Uh, it's sort of a, a situation where we don't really know. The NHL, in, uh, on the other hand, I think, and this is just personally uh, based on you know conversations I've had with other people around it, I have not talked directly to somebody in the NHL involved with this, but my take is that they couldn't really do anything with any sort of teeth, the NHL, without legal charges being laid um, or the idea that consequences, legal consequences were taken. We've seen in the past around the NHL when things have happened uh, in the courtroom, they are very quick to act uh, in terms of suspensions, in terms of investigations, et cetera. So I think this is the same kind of situation here where mm-hmm. the, 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 the lever that would fall with the official charges by London police would therefore have a cascade effect and would uh, essentially trigger the NHL potential suspensions, uh, and any other sort of action, the PA is going to have to be involved at some point uh, after charges yep. are laid. So there's a lot of things that I think are really hinging on action by London police. You know, w- w- one of the things that I think a lot of people, I myself included, are wondering about uh, is, you know, when would this go to trial? And, you know, the the early response is, you know, don't expect this to be anytime soon. This is still going to probably be a couple of years. Um, in your conversations with people in the legal field, when it's a case like this involving high-profile athletes in a very high-profile pro- story, um, one that has seen, you know, Hockey Canada specifically, um, you know, uh, face, you know, uh, people have, you know, lost careers, lost jobs, boards have been completely replaced, uh, new mandates, new way, new governance, all of it for Hockey Canada. Given what we've seen this story has already produced within hockey, specifically in Canada, is there 
a mechanism? Is there a desire? Does it ever happen where considering how high profile a case this is and how much public interest there is in Canada about it, is there any chance that the schedule for a trial gets moved up? Well, I think that that's a possibility. Anything is a possibility with something like this, I think, Jeff, because it's so unprecedented. I mean, we, we, we've seen uh, parliamentary committees uh, convened to talk about this very matter, which you don't get a lot of, obviously, in other uh, sexual assaults involving hockey players, etc. So this is a big story. This has captured the eyes of uh, Canadians right across the country. And also because of the uh, involvement with Hockey Canada and the so-called slush fund to cover uh, uh, incidents like this, uh, legal uh, incidents, there are a lot of things that go into this. So I wouldn't say yes or no either way. I will tell you that uh, having talked to a lawyer uh, last night who is familiar with this case, uh, the speculation was that we might be looking at multiple trials. We might be looking at uh, multiple appeals after those trials are over. And then it could go as far as the Supreme right. Court of Canada. So you're, you're, you're talking about things that, you know, we're talking about years here. Uh, this is not going to be wrapped up uh, at any time soon, I don't imagine. So you could be looking mm-hmm. at, for instance, uh, you have five players that are going to be charged, as, as it appears. You could have three main trials and then two plea bargains. And so, therefore, you have uh, a different sort of perspective. You have three separate trials. And by having three separate trials, the people in those three trials cannot be in the other two trials. Um, so you'll have right. you'll have court dates all over the place. And as my lawyer contact mentioned, uh, you'll have a very expensive uh, lawyer bills out of this because it will be uh, there will be appeals. Mm-hmm. There'll be a lot of uh, hours billed around this because it's such a complicated case. And then one of the questions becomes, and we'll await, you know, listen, um, Commissioner Gary Bettman is going to speak at the All-Star, we believe, on Friday. And, you know, this will be one of the questions he'll be asked. I think a lot of us wonder about um, punishment power or suspension power that the commissioner has in a situation like this. Um, You know, governing all of it will be a couple of documents, one the CBA and the other the SPC which is the standard player's contract. Um, I'm not going to guess at what the commissioner is uh, going to say or what the commissioner is is able to do. Um, I, I will ask you, though, do, do you know, uh, do you have any indication, have talked to anybody who understands what powers Gary Bettman has in this situation to suspend or not? Yeah, I don't have a really good sense of that, Jeff, honestly, but I think that based on precedent, he could do pretty much what uh, he wants <laughs> in these kinds of situations. I think it's a you know conduct unbecoming of a professional. There are all sorts of clauses in the CBA and in the standard contract that uh, allow for mm-hmm. action uh, regarding this kind of matter. Uh, I do f- suspect um, that the NHL and the PA, uh, having prepared for this for months and months, because we were hearing that charges were going to be laid, uh, almost uh, regularly in, for the last six months. Um, mm. I, I do believe that uh, the NHL and the PA will be responding pretty quickly uh, after charges have been laid. I, I can't speculate in terms of what uh, Commissioner Batman will say on Friday, but I do believe that it wouldn't be out of the ordinary, it wouldn't be outrageous for these players to be suspended indefinitely by the NHL come Monday. Okay, uh, before I let you go, is there anything you think our listeners slash viewers uh, should be made aware of? Uh, the one thing I, I don't want to do is, is is let you go without making sure that you uh, 
essentially uh, exhaust the tank here. Is there anything else that you think is particularly salient in this case, Paul, that you think we should all be aware of? Well, I think the Monday really hinges, you know, it is the pivot point for all of this, uh, Jeff. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of a cop-out to say that now because it is Wednesday and we're looking down the road at Monday. But everything that happens Monday with such, such important decisions being made uh, will be everything will fall out from there. So we'll we'll have a better sense of what exactly mm-hmm. the charges are. We don't know what the charges are right now. We don't know precisely what they will be for each one of the five uh, suspects. Um, we don't have a good sense of what the timeline will be for action, as we mentioned with the trials, uh, and we don't really have a good sense of what the consequences will be on the teams. Uh, so the teams that have these players that are on leaves of absence. There are consequences for them, too, in terms of the salary cap, in terms of on-ice uh, mechanics sure. and, and logistics that you know, are really secondary, obviously, to, to this sort of thing. But there are a lot of unanswered questions. So I think mm-hmm. Monday really is going to be the turning point for everything that we know and everything we will know uh, going forward. Gotcha. Um, great to have you on the case. I, I know it's a listen. This this is not an easy one uh, for anybody, and certainly people that are covering it um, on a day to day basis, uh, as you are. Uh, thanks for your input. Thanks for your time. I know you're super busy, Paul. Uh, thanks for parking a little time for me today. Much appreciated. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. Appreciate it. Paul Grant is the senior editor at Sportsnet.ca, covering the uh, the 2018 World Junior Team. Uh, situation with players charged with sexual assaults, Carter Hart, Kyle Foote, Michael McLeod, Dylan Dubé, Alex Formanton uh, so far. And again, as Paul mentioned as well, there will be a London police uh, press conference on the 5th, uh, detailing as much as they are comfortable sharing with everybody. We do expect as well, as I mentioned, Commissioner Gary Bettman at All-Star to be asked about this. Um, I'm not sure what type of answer he will be prepared to give at that point. Um, and again, so much of this will be decided by what is allowed in the CBA and the standard player contract as well. We'll see where that goes. So that'll be one of the things we, for sure, Gary Bettman will be asked about um, on Friday. He'll be asked about, like, I, I think he's also going to be asked about, you know, just from a hockey point of view, um, away from the, the World Junior 2018 story, um, he will either be asked about or will volunteer information on the upcoming, how do you want to phrase it, Four Nations Cup, World Cup of Hockey, however you want to phrase this thing about the international tournament uh, that's on the horizon. So it, it's always a, it's always an interesting one, uh, press, um, uh, press gathering with the, with the commissioner at All-Star. Uh, this one has a lot of different tentacles attached to it as well, uh, and not every story is good uh, this time around. He will also be, I'm sure, asked about the Arizona Coyotes uh, and the future there and the subsequent you know, appeal to open up the uh, uh, expansion market by Ryan Smith, the owner of the Utah Jazz. I don't think that that was something that Ryan Smith freestyled all on his own. Uh, that one felt very coordinated, let's just say, between Ryan Smith uh, and the National Hockey League. But expect the commissioner to be asked about that, and we'll get some kind of answer either way on, on all the things that he's, that he's asked about. Uh, time now, hard pivot, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Matt Marchese returns. How you doing, Matty? I'm good. Uh, by the way, great impression of me yesterday. I thought you were fantastic. You just left out <laughs> one finite detail <laughs> in that story. Miss? 
It was a fake shot, okay. no look pass, backdoor, easy tap in for the future uh, NHLer of a thousand games. Come on, Jeff, you've heard it enough. You should know. Uh, so, for people that uh, were not with me yesterday, oh, we don't on need the to show, do this, this again. Is the part of the program <laughs> where Matt Marchese you know, he goes over uh, whatever game he wants to talk about in very sophisticated gambling terms. Uh, I come up with something to say afterwards. But the one great Matt Marchese hockey story, like I always talk about my skate as a seven year old with Borea Salming and Jim McKenney in High Park in the West End of Toronto. And you've always talked about the, uh, was it a tryout? Was yeah. it an open skate? What it was, was, tri- was it? With it was Sam a tryout. Gagne? It was a tryout. The, uh, for what team? It was the Toronto Marlies. Uh, well, and that it would be it would be the equivalent of the U18 AAA team. And Sam Gagne was literally just out there for a skate. Yeah. While I was trying to make the team, uh, he was going. If I'm not yeah. mistaken, he went what to play you? in the North American Hockey League with St. Louis or something that year. If I'm not mistaken, what are you doing on the same? What were you doing on the same sheet as Sam Gagne? You know, Brian Burke tells a story that when he was the GM of the Vancouver Canucks uh, before a, before a, a practice one day, he was out there on the ice with his son Patrick, who now works in the NHL. And Gretzky came on, and the minute Gretzky came on, he got off the ice because he said, "I don't belong on the same sheet." I'm going to do my Brian Burke now. I don't belong on the same sheet of ice as Wayne Gretzky, so I stepped off the minute he stepped on. There's no way I should be on the same sheet of ice as Wayne. Gretzky. Yeah. I just watch him play with Patrick. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's your game tonight? Uh, Senators at Red Wings. Puck line is Red Wings minus one and a half. Uh, the Sens are nine and two in their last 11 against the Wings. Um, and for the Wings, they're seven, two, and one in their last 10. Dylan Larkin, 11 game point streak on the line. Trying to think. Anything happened to Dylan Larkin last time these two teams played? No. Nothing coming to mind. No. Anything happened with uh, David Perron and Artem Zub and Matthew Joseph? No. Nothing's. Oh, nothing's coming. This should be a no-hitter, a little gentle affair. Nobody wants to get hurt before All-Star. Or maybe they do. With the undercurrent being the dueling rebuilds, Detroit and Ottawa, this one could have some extra spice in it. Unlike the games we saw last night. Did I mention they weren't good? <laughs> Tonight, fingers crossed, this one should be better. The Tread Red Wings facing off against the Ottawa Senators. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bets local. Greg Wyshynski kicks off Hour 2 in moments. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Uh, standing by for Nazem Kadri of the Calgary Flames and the HDA, the Hockey Diversity Alliance. Big weekend coming up for the HDA, February the 3rd, from 10.30 a.m. till 5 p.m. at Trinity Bellwoods Park, near and dear to my heart. He used to skate at that rink millions and millions of years ago. Um, uh, during All-Star Weekend, a celebrity hockey game, ice skating, ball hockey, bites, bevies, entertainment. That is how it is positioned. Um, it is a, a wonderful... Uh, a wonderful event put on by the HCA trying to uh, raise funds as well uh, to get more people playing hockey. More than 700 youth so far have received uh, support through the HDA and the Hockey Diversity Alliance, very much looking to grow that. So we're standing by for Kadri to uh, buzz in here in a couple of moments. In the meantime, I want to remind you, um, listen, if you're like me and you watched those games last night, cross your fingers that tonight's better. I know, I know. These games are close to all-star. Nobody wants to get injured before the break. I understand all of that. But 
These are still games with points on the line. And people who want to watch hockey games are going to take these things in. And tonight, there's a couple uh, of games on Sportsnet. The late game, the San Jose Sharks coming off a 2-0 victory over Seattle yesterday. Congratulations, Mackenzie Blackwood. You looked excellent. Uh, They'll face off against the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, Before that... Uh, the early game, the Ottawa Senators facing off against the Detroit Red Wings. You know, these are these are two fascinating teams. Well, really, there's a there's a troika of three, and when they mix, there's always the sidebar story of dueling rebuilds. Like there's three in the Atlantic that we've looked at and said, okay, who's going to be the first to emerge from the pack? It's Detroit. It's Ottawa. It's Buffalo. Which of these three teams are going to be able to distinguish themselves, considering? They both sort of started their rebuilds all at the same time. Both have enjoyed various moments of success uh, and failure as well. Um, And the one team that so far has been able to pull away and find themselves tucked into a wild card spot are the Detroit Red Wings. Now, it seemed very much a couple of years ago, like either Steve Eiserman or someone above him said, that's it, we're getting some players here now. We can't wait any longer. We're not going to wait for these green bananas to turn yellow. We need to move this thing ahead. And it became a steady stream of signings from Steve Eisenman. So sure, there were some you know younger players that moved in, whether it's you know Cider or Raymond, etc. Uh, we'll look at other players like Simon Edvinson on the horizon. Many thought he would crack the lineup on the back end to kick off the season this year. But you know, there's no shortage of young prospects on the horizon and good young players in the pipeline. But right now, they've, uh, they've been content to fill this team, not just with kids, but also established players, whether it's Perron, whether it's Cop, whether it's Comfort. Have a look at that back end, whether it's Justin Hall or Shane Gostisbehere or Ben Sherratt. It seems as if the Red Wings deliberately went out and said, okay, we're ready. We're ready for the next step. Let's bring in some vets and maybe create roadblocks. And if there's one team in the last 20 years that you've been able to look at and say, okay, so which is the team that blocks their prospects the most? Which is the one team that puts a speed bump in front of their prospects? We kept hearing, we can use the banana analogy again, over-ripen their players. It's the Detroit Red Wings. You know, how many times did we look at, I'll try to draw a couple of names out here. How many times years ago when it was Datsuk and Zetterberg and Lidstrom and that entire crew for Detroit, did we look at Grand Rapids, the American Hockey League team, and say, you know, Yuri Hoodler can play for just about any other team in the NHL except this one. You know, Valtteri Filppula can play on any team in the NHL except this one. And I know that... I know this was always positioned as deliberate, that this is what the Detroit Red Wings did. But having said that, you know, it wasn't as if, you know, Yuri Hoodler and Valtteri Foppola could step into that Detroit Red Wings lineup. It was kind of a full shop. We'll see what happens tonight. Ottawa Senators facing off against the Detroit Red Wings. Please be joined now by Nazem Kadri of the Calgary Flames and also the Hockey Diversity Alliance, the HDA. Uh, big weekend coming up during All-Star at Trinity Bellwoods Park. It is Winterfest. Nazem Kadri joins me now. Nazem, thanks so much for stopping by. Good to hear your voice again. How have you been? Yeah, anytime. Been great, guys. Uh, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Listen, um, HDA Winterfest on the horizon. Uh, I'm sure you've skated at that outdoor, I'm guessing. Uh, you've skated at that outdoor rink at, uh, at Trinity Bellwoods. Can you tee up what's going to be you know, happening on Saturday? HDA has already done you know, wonderful things. 
uh, in this country. What do we look forward to with Winterfest, Naz? Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I mean, it's the uh, first time the events have been put on, so it's obviously our inaugural season. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of great functions from uh, different communities, um, uh, very diverse food and some cultural activities. And uh, there's also going to be a celebrity game. Um, you know, outside on the ice, which which I feel like is a, a unique touch. So, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, obviously a great location in, in Trinity Bellwoods. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've always wondered about, um, I mean, this was true for me, true for uh, a lot of people as well. The the on-ramp to ice hockey uh, for me was playing ball hockey in the backyard. I know that's true, and the NHL has various ball hockey initiatives, many of which are spearheaded um, by Andrew Ference. But as far as, you know, before you get to ice hockey and putting on skates, which can be, to be blunt, can be intimidating for some people. How much do you look, Naz, at ball hockey and say, you know what, this is a great entry point for people who are curious and have a desire to play hockey? Absolutely. It's a starter, and it kind of introduces you, uh, you know, to the team camaraderie aspect. And, uh, you know, that's oftentimes, you know, young kids get intrigued by that. So, uh, you know, we obviously have our grassroots program that the HDA provides, uh, uh, gear and funding and um you know a lot of those kids uh, that are in our programmings are are, are also gonna uh, be in attendance and uh you know should just be great and you know full circle and and uh, i know uh, the boys and myself are very excited to have everybody there how uh, how often do you have kids come up to you and say you know what like you've helped so many people the hda has and i'm one of them whether it's you know the uh the young athletes themselves or whether it's uh, whether it's parents, whether it's siblings, how often do you get asked, you know, not only about, you know, hey, winning the Stanley Cup and playing pro hockey, but how often do people stop you and say, hey, hey, Naz, thanks? Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty often, actually, and that's uh, fulfilling in itself. You know, obviously, uh, you know, hundreds of emails come our way as well, just uh, from the parents thanking us for, uh, you know, giving, giving them the opportunity and, you know, we, we, we also do have some pretty good players in our program. So, uh, you know, hopefully one day that, uh, you know, that could be a chain reaction for them playing, hopefully professional, and maybe even in the NHL. So, yeah. um, you know, that would be uh, very exciting, and, and uh, we'd, be, we'd be very proud of that. You know, one of the um, uh, one of the I'll be honest with you, like one of the great thrills that I've had in the last couple of years was was hosting your uh, your, your Stanley Cup celebration in London. And, you know, I was, first of all, overwhelmed at how many responsibilities you had that day and how many people wanted a piece of you and how you had to go here and had to go there. And uh, so much of it was was really beautiful. And I can't help. Kept, I came away from us driving home uh, thinking to myself, like, Hockey players, uh, when you get to the NHL, there are certain expectations and responsibilities that you have. But for someone like you, I mean, you get pulled in so many other directions that people don't even consider, um, considering the nature of your sport and your upbringing and how you got there uh, and how involved you are. Um, you have to be one of the busiest players in the NHL. What I know there are no regular days, but like, what's a day like with with Nazem Kadri? I got a brief glimpse, mind you. That was Stanley Cup day, so that was special. But you know, in talking to your dad as well, like, what is it? What's a day like for Nazem Kadri? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's certainly you know, there's a lot. There can be a lot of, but you know, at the end of the day, that. Uh, 
you know, it's really important to me that, you know, I, I share it with my community and, uh, you know, the people that obviously have helped me get to this point. And there, there has been a lot of people and, you know, you, you just feel, um, you feel more, uh, much more fulfilled when you can kind of enjoy, uh, enjoy it with other people. And, and, you know, at times, don't get me wrong, there's probably a few few times like I just wanted to sneak off back with it and just maybe hang out with, uh, with the cup. <laughs> just, <laughs> just have some alone time, you know. But uh, I think, yeah. uh, you know, I think just being able to even have that opportunity to share with these people because, you know, I, I see their reactions once, you know, once they saw it and, you know, those are, uh, you know, those are the faces that I'll, that I'll never forget. So, um, you know, it's certainly a lot of fun, and um, I would love to do that again someday. I, I would imagine. Like, that's the thing. You do it once, and you want to do it every season after that. Um, did you get any – one more question about your your, uh, your your time with the Cup. Did you get much alone time with it just to, you know, take it all in and, and think about it, just, just you and that trophy? Uh, I, I did. There was, uh, you know, a few spurts throughout the day where as we were bouncing around from function to function, I got to, uh, you know, spend some quality time with uh, with Mr. Stanley. So, I mean, not, and in those specific moments, I think you really, you know, uh, you really appreciate, you know, you really start to think back of, you know, the year you had, you know, how you started playing hockey and getting to this point, right? It's uh, it's, it's kind of a special mm-hmm. feeling when it's, um, you know, when you're kind of just solo. But, um, you know, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's definitely a reflection period and something that, uh, you know, brought up a lot of great memories. For sure. Um, let me ask you about the Calgary Flames. This is uh, this is a really interesting team. It's a blend of veteran players uh, and young kids that seem to really sort of give the uh, give give the squad a, a shot in the arm when they're out there. I mean, you remember you were you know Connor Zary's age once upon a time, uh, Naz, and I can remember you know you playing with the the Maple Leafs and before that the uh, the the Toronto Marlies and giving that organization that youthful shot in the arm. Um, what's it like? Now that this Calgary team is sort of opening its door more to, you know, younger players, players from the American Hockey League team in, I mean, the last couple of seasons with Calgary, as we all know, it's kind of been a, a close shop uh, for young players. What is the, what are the younger players meant for this team so far? I think it's great for the organization to kind of inject that youth into the, into the lineup and, um, you know, give them certain responsibilities. That way they can, uh, you know, grow and develop for the future and really see how, uh, how great they can, they can become. So, you know, of course, it's a, it's a tall task. And, uh, you know, our guys, I think, have handled it very well. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll be looking to, you know, oftentimes throughout the season, you look at teams, you know, um, pre and post all-star break and sometimes there's you know a disparity so we're we're you know hopefully going to be one of those teams to step on the gas and really make a make a push here towards the end mm-hmm. well listen on that I'll, I'll let you go i know your time's at a premium um naz thanks uh for stopping by and uh the, the look back at cup day uh which was a lot of fun and listen a, a big weekend coming up for the hda at trinity bellwoods park february 3rd uh jam-packed day of hockey winter magic let's let's call it that uh thanks as always for stopping by really appreciate it good luck after the break with the with the calgary flames all right just no problem thanks guys 
There is Nazem Kadri uh, is a forward for the Calgary Flames and part of the uh, Hockey Diversity Alliance. Uh, Trinity Bellwards, if you're in the uh, the Toronto area, February the 3rd uh, from 10.30 to 5. It's a combination of, of a lot of things. Uh, celebrity hockey game. They get a really cool rink there. Um, one of my best buddies is George Strombolopoulos, and he used to live on a street right behind Trinity Bellwood. So late at night when I was over at George's place, would always get our skates out and uh, get out there. Sometimes there was light, sometimes there wouldn't. There there wasn't light at uh, Trinity Bellwoods and just fire it around. It's a really cool rink. Uh, ice skating, ball hockey, um, food and beverage, uh, food, uh, different types of food you can sample from from all over the world and certainly entertainment as well. February 3rd, uh, that is Saturday, 10.30 a.m. to 5 o'clock p.m. Very much looking forward to that. And despite, you know, before Naz joined me there a couple of seconds ago, uh, we're just talking about the games on the horizon this evening. And maybe I'm putting too much into this. And sometimes the game after the incident, nothing really happens. And I think that's kind of the way the NHL wants it because I think there are a lot of people watching this game and saying maybe again, you know, this is a, this is a couple of teams that really don't like each other, the Ottawa Senators and the Detroit Red Wings. And we talk about how, you know, wonderful a thing like hockey hate is. Um, but sometimes it's not the game right after, but the game after that. But again, all it takes is one player to do one thing and one player to react to that one thing, as we've seen before. So very much looking forward to this one. Ottawa Senators, Detroit Red Wings. Watch it on Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. Uh, The puck drops just after 7 o'clock in Detroit. Uh, Hockey Central, your pregame program, gets underway at 6.30 uh, with your host, Carolyn Cameron. Also, Los Angeles Kings. How bad can it get? Like, are they going to lose again? They're facing off against Nashville. Like, this time of year is always kind of weird. Because, again, guys want to kind of escape for their all-star break, have their pause, and don't want to spend it with a hospital bracelet on. So sometimes, as we've seen last night, did I mention how bad those games were last night? Sometimes you get, as uh, Drew Bannister put it yesterday, cute hockey. Hopefully that's not the way we see it tonight. Sens wings, Kings preds, Sharks ducks. Enjoy it. Thanks to everyone who stopped by, including Nazem Kadri, Greg Wyshynski, uh, Haley Salvian, and Paul Grant. All right, I'm out. That's it for me today. I am out of words. They have tumbled out of my mouth, and I am done with them. Back in 22 hours for more of the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Talk to you tomorrow.